Hey guys, welcome to Rankin' Vile, the podcast where we are ranking every single horror movie ever made from best to worst. And this is Ryan, as always, and filling in for Quincy this week, uh, we have the co-hosts of the Jock Doc podcast, uh, DrLondonSmith.com and Cameron. Hey! Yeah, so I'm, I'm the doctor one. Yeah, you're the doctor one. I'm the other one. Producer Cameron, Pro- canonically. Producer is the first name, I think, in that case. Yeah. That's right. Um, And so uh, it's lovely to have you guys on the show. Uh, The thing that I'd like to start off with uh, when we have guests is uh, to ask, what is your background with horror? Like, are are you lifelong horror fans or are you like sort of vaguely into it? Like, what's what's your relationship like with that? So for me, I've um, I have seen some horror movies and I've enjoyed them. But it's one of those things where uh, it's more of an occasion situation. Mm. Um, my relationship to horror, if I had to define it, it's not, it's kind of like Tinder, I guess. <laughs> like, I've definitely done some swiping, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I've definitely, like, I don't I don't put myself out there maybe as much as I should with regard to horror. And maybe that right. should change. You know, I, I certainly appreciated today's movies. No, no, no spoiler. <laughs> yeah, no spoiler. I mean... Yeah, so you, you sort of you, so you wait for horror movies to sort of come to you. You don't sort of you know go out looking for it. I mean, I'll go out for a drink, but I don't necessarily right. like if a horror movie sits next to me, I mm-hmm. might, um, I might flirt, but I don't always know that I'm flirting, you know. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. certainly don't know if the movie's flirting with me. So, um, and the movie's not giving anything yeah. back whatsoever. Right. It's for just, all I yeah, know. It's just, Absolute cold shoulder, but you know it could be that the the horror movie's frosty exterior hides uh, an interested heart. Yeah, I mean, I I gotta hope so. In general, <laughs> hopefully, but in these specific cases, there's no way. It's almost yeah. It's <laughs> I've I've gone to you know whatever Reddit forums, whatever subreddits, and I've shared my dilemmas with horror movies, and people are <laughs> like, it's so obvious, like. <laughs> People repost my posts into the, you know, whatever fail groups. That's how bad. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you end up on the cringe subreddits with, like, <laughs> just every part of you. They break down your username, the time that you post, yeah. just every every part of it. Side yeah. note here, I'm like, I'm, like, I'm, like, elementally terrified of anything I do being referred to as cringe mm-hmm. because, like, the young the young people have weird power to, like, make you feel ashamed of yourself for being cringy. But I think being concerned about being cringe is what makes it cringe. Oh, uh, yeah. You know? So you, have if you to, have a total lack of shame. Yeah, you've got to be able to embrace things that could be cringe, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah, and, I well, think and, so too. And I mean, that's all a lie, of course, because everyone's insecure about everything. But that's like what you're supposed to tell yourself, and what it's uh, how what you're supposed to. Do. Mm-hmm. I think so and too. Cameron can speak so confidently about this because you know, Cameron, if I'm not mistaken, you at least you've been in a serious relationship with horror before, right? Like you, I don't know if there's a proposal if you went that far. I wouldn't say there was any sort of proposal, but actually. Uh, Dr. London, it, it's not far off from your relationship with it. I, uh, I'm going to be completely honest. I was thinking about this last night. I don't think I've ever seen any like classic horror movies, like oh, anything. Wow. So like pre, none, of the, none of the heavy hitters. Anything pre like the mid 2000s when I would have been a teenager. But like I've kept up with some modern horror in terms of just sort of the like the hipster horror A24 stuff that horror fans always uh, say isn't real horror. Uh, oh yeah, the uh, the uh, elevated horror. Sure, like it follows or hereditary or whatever. I've mm-hmm. just watched 
the like the first three insidious movies the other day um which i love that that i love i love that that first one has the 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 strength of its convictions to use tiptoe through the tulips by tiny tim oh yeah and it works perfectly yeah that song is innately terrifying and i love that the directors were like ah let's let's put the scariest song we can possibly find in this movie yep the first uh dead body i accidentally saw on the internet as like an 11 year old was tiny tim's uh corpse (laughs) <laughs> showed to me by my weird cousin. So that's that bringing together horror and uh, Tiny Tim. Horror to myself. Mm-hmm. So you, so this was also, you went out looking for it on the internet and then found the, the body of Tiny Tim looking for horror. No, this is just my cousin said, hey, look at this. <laughs> Which I think is the job of a cousin. Actually, just go, hey, you want to see a dead body? Yeah, and just then... traumatizing you for no reason. You know, I don't even think it was funny to her. It was just... It happened to her, so she's sharing it. My cousins, this was how I got started in horror, is that I had terrible cousins who made me watch the movie Hellraiser. Oh, yeah. Uh, with, you had, you know, Pinhead and Torture mm-hmm. and Bondage Demons. And at the time, you know, I wasn't exactly like, oh, I can see what this movie is doing with the sacred and the profane or bondage or demons. And it was just like, uh, the mean Pinhead man ripped the body apart. Also, I'm six. <laughs> exactly. And... Yeah, you, you you process it all. It's like raw information at that point. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. I yeah. mean, I remember. So, I do remember as a child we... seeing probably half of Mars Attacks, not realizing that it was a comedy, oh. and it's scaring the hell out of me. Oh, that movie was I terrifying. But it's like it's like, not. You know what I mean? But like at a certain, it kind of is. Well, I mean, their, their heads explode constantly. That, that is movie. true. Yeah. And for me, it's those jaws, the faces, and the. But um, Scream was my my first. Mars Attacks scared me, but Scream. I remember having to be the brave one, walking friends back to their apartment. Right. Uh, oh yeah. Afterwards, like basically, it came down to they didn't want to put a brave face on, and I was like, well, I guess I'm <laughs> I guess I'm brave. I think Scream I is always a good one to start with because it, it's just so like foundational for. Honestly, I've realized upon rewatching Scream, this is basically uh, an allegory for being terrified of anonymous people on the internet. Like, Ghostface is definitely on some Reddit forum. Like, this is, yeah, just some faceless weird goon who, like, quizzes you on trivia and kills you if you get it wrong. Like, it's, it's really intense. Probably would have a manifesto, though, you know? Yeah, like, on a, a really badly sort of... Uh, laid out GeoCities page with like an animated like border at the bottom with fire on it. Yeah, exactly. And like even a comment section, like even maybe having a forum that's all about, uh, you know, his psychosis. God, yeah. And then true true crime podcasts just devoting hours and hours to it. Oh, yeah. I say this like I don't. I say this like I don't listen to true crime podcasts. Uh, let's uh, let's jump into the movie we're doing for this week. So uh, Slumber Party Massacre 2 from 1987 um, this, of all the motion pictures I've seen, this is certainly one of them. Mm, yeah, no, I thought the same. Yeah. Not, not all be all, all, all the harsh, actors, but... clearly visible. Yep. Uh, soundtrack. Uh, yeah, they all, they oh, all yeah. moved around. Like, it wasn't still images. It was uh, a series of frames very rapidly that created the mm-hmm. illusion of for, movement. Yeah. I was looking for animatronics, and I didn't see any of that. Nope. That was frustrating for me. Yeah. But some pretty dope prosthetics. Like, this is uh, obviously a sequel to the first Slumber Party Massacre movie, which was a pretty straightforward uh, slasher where an escaped convict finds a power drill and kills a bunch of teenagers, and that's pretty much the movie. Um, and all of that happened in real life, where I want to say 
seven-eighths of Slumber Party Massacre 2 takes place via dream sequence. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because we, you know, we start off the movie and we get this, like, sort of Vaseline-lensed, like, sort of Skinamax aesthetic where um, the main character, Courtney, who's the survivor of the first movie, um, just, like, fantasizes about a hunky dude. Mm -hmm. Just being a hunky dude like what she she fantasizes about inviting a guy to watch her play in a garage band in a garage for five seconds (laughs) and then he leaves he comes by Mm -hmm. he says hi they kiss for the first time and then he just jets he he literally parked in there to just smooch it's pretty cool honestly alpha sort of move well and when they kiss her eyes are like wide open for the first five seconds like it, it's it's kind of off-putting that he's sort of doing the closed eye kiss and she's just doing the full like nope i'm staring at your tiny mallette okay like for the duration of this kiss so before i so i ended up watching it on shutter but before i did that i tried pirating it first and the version mm-hmm. that i pirated it says like at the beginning in order to present the most complete version of the film three different sources were utilized you may notice the shift in quality throughout the movie and it goes from like being clearly like the Amazon rip to a very, very old version that seems to have deleted scenes. But every deleted scene Ooh. is just extended shots of nothing. And that was the, <laughs> like, I, I only got like 15 minutes in before I was like, something's wrong with this. And then I moved to Shutter so I could watch the same version y'all were watching. But like the, mm-hmm. the kissing scene is like they stare at each other longer for and say nothing. And then she says... It's my birthday Sunday, which she then says again like five seconds later. So I guess they figured there's no reason to say it twice in the span of a minute, you know? The birthday gets brought up a lot and comes to nothing, I think. Like, she gets a cake, and that's pretty much... Like, they keep mentioning the birthday like this is going to be some huge plot point. Maybe I'm odd because I, I barely remembered the birthday except for at the very critical point, which was... Um, at, we're, we're, we are ignoring a major plot point because because she was gonna go, she was gonna have to go to her to visit her sister who's yeah. in a mental hospital, mm-hmm. and the only thing that allowed her to go with her friends to and this is a bit of a spoiler for the listeners, uh, uh, encounter a killer. Um, so she the only thing that let her do that was breaking down crying and saying it's my birthday my birthday (laughs) well and she and she specifically says like it's my birthday and i don't want to go to sunday's my birthday and i don't want to go to a mental hospital which is (laughs) the best line delivery in the movie i think and it's like you know that's pretty it's valid you know what i mean like it's her birthday Mm -hmm. let's do it the day before or the day after yeah, mm-hmm. no one wants to get no one wants to get a fifty one fifty for their birthday, uh, and I think that's a pretty relatable experience. She, um, having lived through the events of the first film, I think this movie, I don't want to say plays around with PTSD, but like PTSD is kind of in the mix. But for most of this, Courtney is actually like aside from the uh, the psychosis and dream sequences, she's pretty chill in her everyday life and playing in a garage band. Yeah, but I would say that most of the movie is dream, right? Like, yeah, to, yeah. To well, say most, she's pretty good for the most part. Most of it, she's in a dream. As long as she's not in a in a fugue state uh, and she's being chased by yeah. a killer. Now, the killer uh, in the first movie was just a standard boiler-suited goon with a power drill who, you know, sort of chased people like a, like a slasher, and it was very straightforward. And the killer in this one, for whatever reason... The killer from the first one has been reincarnated as mm-hmm. 
a dancing, singing 50s greaser with a huge, uh, gnarly guitar that has a drill on the headstock. Which I absolutely loved, by the way. He, uh, looked awesome, and Mm -hmm. everything he said was some sort of weird pun. Like, just a really, just a huge stretch of a pun on some sort of rock lyric or title. He was amazing. Yeah, like, he'll he'll kill somebody and then be like, I can't get no satisfaction. And I'm wondering if at a certain point, like, if this movie kept on going, would he be, like, scraping the bottom of the barrel and being like, wow, this is a real stairway to heaven. Like, how how many classic rock titles can you throw out before you're just like, I got a drill guitar and you're, you know, you're at the end of a long day, you've been killing teens. Um, it's, he's great. Like, this oh, yeah. actor is overflowing with charisma. I wanted a lot more of him. Like, I would say he, I mean... You know, he pops up in these very quick, uh, I guess, dream within a dream sequences that she's having where she sees, like, suddenly blood or whatever. But he's really only in the last, what, fifth, ten minutes of the movie? Like, when everything really escalates? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt I felt very, like, this is called Slumber Party Massacre 2. Can we get to the massacre, please? Like, it, it, so much of this movie, we're just watching these teens with a Z sort of interact with each other. Um, every male character in this movie is unbearable. Oh, I loved the douchey over the top, like, <laughs> guy. He was awesome. He was, <laughs> yeah. I, like, I do want to say, like, so I did find this movie kind of boring for most of it, for the same reason you're saying mm-hmm. for the first three fourths of it, or maybe nine tenths of it, nothing is really happening. But, um, I thought the acting was genuinely decent, like throughout the entire film. It, it, it wasn't as campy and bad and cheesy as you usually expect in these type of movies, and, except yeah. for the ridiculous characters that were like supposed to be ridiculous, such as the killer, that one cop who was just a huge asshole, um, <laughs> and then oh, man. that one bro guy who was just so over the top. I, I loved all that. That was great. Yeah, the cop, now, this is, so, the teens decide that they're going to go to an abandoned house to have a slumber party, parentheses, massacre. Uh, they, they, when they get to this empty house to do their, like, teen uh, gambles, the, the place is empty except for a blow-up doll tucked into a bed. Mm-hmm. If, if you stumble upon a derelict house with a blow-up doll in the bed, you leave that house. You go somewhere else immediately. Well, and like, so right before that, the girls are in the car, and the one girl is reading a dirty book that she found under her brother's mattress. And they think that's really funny. Like, this is a really fun thing that we're talking about, like, my brother, you know, masturbating to this book. And then not within three minutes, a different girl says this this blow-up doll is must be my brother's. And they're, like, touching it and laughing about it, and it's just, like, a fun thing. <laughs> like, they're very involved in just acknowledging and having fun with their brother's personal lives. <laughs> close personal and lives. One thing that I found to be fascinating there, I definitely thought that the book was a picture book for, like, until they showed that it, like they're reading out of it then so then it's what a, an erotic novel which to me there's there is a big difference there traditionally oh, sure. gender roles would dictate that the ladies would read the the erotic novel and the males would have a picture book uh is is my classic understanding so what a way to flip the gender roles yeah. and what yeah, a what a feminist yeah. take 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, her brother. That's, that's feminist yeah, her brother was very forward thinking for the time. Where's Where's the brothers movie? You know, that's what I'm asking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. the brother. All yeah, we know is... about him is that he's extremely progressive and that he's masturbating to literature. And I need to know more. <laughs> a feminist icon who reads. Er- Honestly, though, yeah. Like, the, if you're a, a young boy reading erotica. I think that works its way around to actually being pretty f- fancy for that age. Like, yeah, it kind of it kind of feels reading. pretentious almost. Like <laughs> yeah, it feels snobby. It. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah you can it's tell like, they're wow. from a rich family from the way he reads. Uh, like, he oh, reads you're his too, erotic you're, novels. Like, oh, you're too good for weather-beaten porn you found in the woods, huh? And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, wait, come on. Like, let's 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 take it down a notch. The so this house, um, they all of the songs that they play. The lyrics uh, to these songs are completely insane. Um, It's like they were all sort of written by committee, where you've got a song about wanting a pie in the sky. You've got songs about... It's... I don't know. I love it because it's like an alien was being racist about human beings and how they write pop songs. I did like... Because she, the, uh, the writer of the song, you know, had said when, when criticized, she was like, well, I'm gonna write the best song this weekend that's that was the task I, I i guess that's to one degree that that's why they were there along with the birthday mm-hmm. so she had to write this best uh-huh. song and, and it ended up being I, the best I song loved. i've ever heard yeah, yeah. Uh, well i yeah. like that as she was writing it sounded like there might have been a question in the air of is this good and but no she nods to herself and <laughs> and like you can because i was watching for that pencil to go back and you know, like in a lot of movies, cross something out or throw the paper away. Mm-hmm. But no, nothing needed to be changed there. I yeah, really... We get, we get like a I, montage of like, she falls asleep with her glasses askew on her face. There's, mm-hmm. you know, like the pencil's been chewed. We would need to see the passage of time. Yeah, well, I mean, I like that she just recognized perfection when she saw oh, it. Oh, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. so, and the confidence I mean, to know that you what you've created is perfect. Yeah, yeah. because uh, a lot of people aren't that self-aware, uh-huh. you know? The... The male love interest, uh, his name is Matt, and he has a face that suggests just like, a, a just gently lobotomized. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as a physician, we often, you know, we, we're always dealing with lobotomies and I got it. Sure. Yeah. No, he was, um, he, he does look like a, a, a post-op patient in that regard. Yeah, sort of, he, he sort of looks like a puppy. Like he's, when he's introduced as the romantic lead, he mostly he has the same expression through most of this movie which is very just sort of like no thoughts head empty like he's excited to be anywhere doing anything um and i i love relationships in in horror movies where we're sort of informed that the lead and the love interest are into each other where it's just sort of right you know it's yeah it's kind of paint by numbers he's friendly i I guess like for for me i was really having a guess at first like what is his role in this Mm -hmm. uh but with the shirt off mm-hmm. and the you know the uh, the the body that that appear it appears that maybe he has exercised before um i did there there are all these subtleties they threw in and i tried to take note of that and mm-hmm. you know soon enough yeah there was there was the scene where they kissed and you realize Whoa. and also where they say you like him and he said he liked you Right, right. And then you're starting to put the pieces together. Cameron, um, did you, uh, when you were watching the uh, Splice Together director's cut, uh, did did this relationship take on any more dimensions in the um, unedited, uh, unannotated uh, version? 
Okay, so I only watched like the first 15 minutes of the one with the poorly the poor quality cuts and the deleted scenes or whatever. So I really only <laughs> saw them kissing and then like her fantasizing about him shirtless. Um and the only thing extra right. was that she mentioned it was going to be her birthday Sunday and they just stared at each other for so much longer. And there was also right after that when she's having dinner with her mom, there's like a really mm-hmm. long shot of her playing with her food with with her fork, like really long. And so it, it it's really great. So I'm not going to say that the um these deleted scenes are going to add much to your experience. It seems like it's just going to maybe mm-hmm. add 15 minutes to your time. But uh yeah, yeah, it's just it's it when they kiss it's just their faces sort of mashed up against each other for like at least a solid minute on screen, like not even kissing, just like putting themselves at each other. This I mean mm-hmm. This is even worse. Well, it's, it's like them staring at each other for well, just a first really base. long time. Yeah. Oh yeah, first base <laughs> is the eye contact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. Like, and you're pu- you're pushing second at that point too when it's that intense. I mean, yeah. honestly, they went from kissing like two times to her. I mean, it's all a dream, so I guess there's no stake in any of it. But uh, to them, pretty much making out and almost having sex. Like, it escalated yes. very quickly in their relationship. So it kind of seems like, yeah, first base, second base. It's really more of a cricket allegory, right? Mm-hmm. Thir- third base is him uh, carrying a football in slow motion while grinning, I think. Like, that's that's when you know, it, you know it's going down. Yeah. That's that's true love. Uh, yeah. the Now, the, the music that they play, I got to point out, I, for, like, miming playing instruments, everybody here actually looked like they were playing their instrument in a way that I was really impressed by. Oh, yeah, no, it looked it looked normal, and I didn't mind the music at all. Like, the songs were fine. And mm-hmm. even the singing in the car in the beginning, I was very surprised that, oh, yeah, no, yeah. They, can, they got a decent voice. You, you are, it's, a stealth, it's a stealth musical. You are right, though, like you mentioned earlier, that it sounded sort of like lyrics- created by a committee or like an alien trying to guess what a human would say and that also applies Mm -hmm. to like kind of everything in this movie in terms of like how teenagers act it seems like someone who was never a teenager trying to guess what teenagers are like sort of thing Mm -hmm. like a, a, a huge example being them wasting so much champagne that they got for free no teenager having a weekend party would ever do that in a million years just, no, just things of not. that nature, where or just how women act, or just anything. It just seemed like a uh, person who hasn't met a lot of people, sort of guessing a lot. And also, um, just to point out, the brother does come up again when the uh, the amount of alcohol present, you know, is discussed. True that they can blame it on the brother, the pervert brother. Is, once <laughs> My again, pervert the brother, brother no. who's maybe the hero of the film sort of the unspoken hero uh i i i just appreciate he's like a byronic figure and all he does is drink champagne and read erotica like he's <laughs> he's doing well for himself yeah. her brother's yeah just a hugh hefner type and we had no idea yeah exactly uh the now there is a bit where the drummer is um just slugging down champagne while eating a corn dog at the same time I think this might be the most powerful energy I've ever personally seen. Oh, yeah. that's I loved that. And I think I have definitely have done that at some point. I can't think of a specific memory, but I know I've done that or gotten close, you know? If I haven't done it, I have plans to now. So they all, they all get drunk and then decide to spontaneously 
have a, a pillow fight. Of course, this scene yeah. Is, yeah I mean, you know, it, it is it is a movie called Slumber Party Massacre too. I think you're totally right, uh, Cameron. The fact that like the you know uh, an, an adult who has never been a teenager or met one, uh, sort of going like, what do we? You know, it's like I I think that the movie thinks it's being cheeky about like, isn't this ridiculous? They're all having a topless pillow fight. But that doesn't negate the fact that they do genuinely have a topless pillow fight. Oh, and for so long. It, this, the, the So much time padding is in this 75-minute movie, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, but the, they dance for so long. There's They start doing choreographed dancing where they're doing like the same arm motions. They had oh, to yeah. have had rehearsals for this, I think, right? Like They're, they're pretty tightly choreographed. They might be sort I mean, of forward thinking in terms of playing instruments while also having choreography like St. Vincent or David Byrne does, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Considering it, how choreographed the the killer's movements would become, seeing, you know, the, the choreography for them, I'm thinking, okay, the, like having seen the whole thing, I'm thinking, okay, this is, they really put the time into the yeah. song and dance routines to, to the point that I'm thinking this movie was more of a musical than a slasher. It really felt more yeah. like a step up 3D than yeah, some sort of slasher B movie. <laughs> yeah, it makes me wonder if they started with the music and they were like, we need some kind of vehicle for these songs, like it's Purple Rain or something. And they need to find some way to justify like building a plot around it. Um, the The songs themselves don't really apply to anything happening in the movie. Um, most of Now, what's great is that we get a lot of sort of 50s boogie happening with the Driller Killer, uh, who I, I appreciate and love that at no point does this movie explain to us why he is a greaser now. Or why, I mean, realistically, why he's there at all. Yeah. Because it's more of a... what. Uh, like he's appearing through dreams, which, from my understanding, is not the case in the former in the, you know, the movie that came before. Yeah, he's, very corporeal in that first one. He he's a dreamwalker in this one, apparently. <laughs> yeah, uh, I... which that that's not even like a particularly emphasized thing, but no, I mean like I mean, f- um, I had you know I was not familiar with the first one didn't watch it didn't look it up or anything like that and so I I mm-hmm. totally got what was going on in that this person was attacked before but that's the only context mm-hmm. I've been given is is that th- she was attacked by this person before like it, there's no indication of anything else why this is happening how long ago did that happen like none of that is is even alluded no, to at no. all they just the length of time was cuz I also did not look anything up uh, she is 17 in this film, which, you know, came up with the whole weekend getaway uh-huh. with only friends. Mm-hmm. And then they said she was 12 for the, uh, the previous occasion. Oh, okay. I must so, have missed that. That's yes. I mean, she, she was fully yeah. a teenager in the first one. I, it, and, and so many of the actors in this movie, it's very like, haha, it's me. I'm cool in 16. And it's like, this actor is like 34 and they own a house. Like, oh yeah, that's, I mean, that's just the classic you know, we still do that. Everyone on Glee mm-hmm. was like forty-five. Yeah, Riverdale. Uh, I don't know if either either of you have uh, watched Riverdale, but so much of that show, it's like, uh, yeah, and and sort of in a way that a lot of shows I think acknowledge, like, yeah, none of us actually look like children. It would be really jarring if you know Jughead, you know, mutilating a woman in the woods with a knife. If he actually looked like a sixteen-year-old, that would be way more upsetting. 
Yeah. Yeah. We got to maybe take a page out of, um, who is it? The Peanuts characters where they're all voiced by the same age children at first. Mm-hmm. If we could bring that into slasher films. Yeah. And just like uh, dub it in ADR, like just have it superimposed over the 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 large adult actors. You want yeah, children's voices? Or are you saying the same age as the characters? Now that you're suggesting, both options sound yeah. really realistic and good. So yeah, let's not take anything off the table. I think you need. There's I'm sort saying. of a trade off though because children's voices, but the peanuts characters all have very adult, almost elderly haircuts. Obviously, Charlie <laughs> Brown being a bald child. But really, every single other character has like a very middle-aged person haircut. So you're going to have to bring that into it as well. Mm-hmm. Sort of, yeah. a, it's, it, it balances each other out. You've got to find that balance. Yeah, I feel like they all have flesh-colored hair as well on Peanuts. Like they, you know, you get like Linus or, or Pigpen or something, and it's like their their hair just looks like the same. Like, are these tendrils of flesh on the top of their head? Like it's. It's 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 kind of upsetting. I, I don't know if either of you remember when um, the I think it was the Today Show did uh, yes. realistic P, P. Oh, it haunts my nightmares. Uh, who uh, who was it who had Charlie Brown and it was just like hair paste on his face? It was. Um, I think that was Al Roker. It wasn't was it? Al Roker. Yes. <laughs> uh god god will judge us for what we've done i think like that's one of those things that when you see it it's almost like it's like a lovecraft protagonist like reading a book that melts your brain like i'm not supposed to be looking at that it's like those when people make those sort of vaguely grotesque depictions of like what homer simpson would look like if he was a real human it it, it was like that but they were genuinely using it as a marketing ploy <laughs> Yeah, and it makes me wonder, like, did they know how unforgivably hard to look at that was? Or were they like, no, this is going to look great? I mean, we're still talking about it. That's true. That's a really good point. Um, So the, 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 the guy that you were talking about, the uh, the sort of crude, like, he, he looks and sounds uh, like if bathroom graffiti could wear pants. Like, he's just, uh, yeah. he sort of sounds like Butthead from Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, a lot of definitely a lot of like <laughs> going on <laughs> and yeah, yeah and there's it's, one bit it's where... borrowing like could have been cut from the original script from beavis and butthead some of the lines of <laughs> yeah yeah he's he's very like sort of breathing with his mouth open there's a bit in this uh where he decides to throw courtney into the pool now i feel like there's a thing in movies especially like what is it with gross dudes who are specifically excited about pushing uh, people into pools. Like, this was a thing in the 80s, I think, in movies. Well, I've seen it done before. Yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. anytime I've pushed someone into a pool, it's it's implied that I'm trying to race them. Like, I'm I'm a faster swimmer, and I'm trying to prove that. Yes, I see that you're Mm -hmm. eating. Let's figure this out right now. So but I don't, waiting it doesn't minutes. seem like that's what they're doing in movies. So I've never really been sure because I'm like, no, they're not going that fast. Like no one has goggles on. No one's got the head, head cap on. Whereas you're fully suited. Oh yeah. Every, like if I, if you invite me to a backyard barbecue and I know a pool's going to be there, I'm suited up. I have my right. trainer you're there, just... my manager there. <laughs> what does a swimming manager look like? A uh, swimming manager look like, I, I'm going to guess... Um, like a Martin Sheen type in, but like in khaki cargo shorts. Yeah. Yeah. So like, he's also kind of ready to go. Like if he has to jump in and 
like, throw in the towel or do some managing. Like, he's not going to be, like, he's not wearing a full suit. No, yeah. I mean, I, I'm picturing someone who is just, like, let's say the PE coach in general at whatever high school we're at and has sort of been assigned swimming, but I, you've never seen him swim and you're not really sure if he knows how to swim. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But you're excited to find out. Like this is, yeah, yeah. This is a setup for for well, the things you, you trust him because that's the authority that he has. That's his place. That's his office. So mm, the you pool know, is his office. similar to that situation. Uh, was it? I don't know if his the guy's name was JT or something. Uh, anyway, T- the, TJ, TJ, TJ. I, I was close. Uh, yeah. So uh, I I couldn't tell. Yeah, if it was if he was trying to arouse her or if he was trying to race her, but. In either case, I feel like he he came out the victor because uh, she was the one who almost drowned. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he was he uh, was fine. He 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 came nowhere yeah. close to drowning. Oh yeah, I mean if if there was a race, uh, I granted I guess he didn't enter the race necessarily, but um, I, I think that was more on Courtney. And I'm sorry to take the side of uh, you the know, creepy guy. I, yeah. not, well, and that's a harsh characterization. The fast but, guy, you know. The fast mm-hmm. guy, that's right. And that can go a couple different ways. Yeah. He, honestly, uh, they fish her out, and, you know, she's been hallucinating underwater. She goes into dream sequences at basically the drop of a hat. Like, just always ready to have a dream sequence. And you know that it's a dream sequence uh, if everything is at a Dutch angle, and everything is covered in neon, and she and if now... And just scenes from what I assume is the last movie. You would think so. Uh, I it, th- th- there is a very like previously on Slumber Party Massacre that happens pretty much throughout this movie. Um, I would say that like yeah, like a lot of this movie's runtime is just sort of a, a clip show from the previous one. But you know, we do also get wild guitar music in the background as the uh, driller greaser uh, starts coming around more. Uh, Cameron, you're totally right. Like this movie needed at least eighty percent more greaser. Yeah, I mean, it, it. you know, I don't fault a movie like this for just essentially having the same setup and same scene over and over and over again, which in this case was just variations of she envisions something bleeding or this guy popping out or the the one girl having a giant uh, tumor, like, full of pus explode everywhere. Oh, pimple. Pimple? Yeah. Gigantic pimple? Oh, that's right. She was talking about her pimple. She, that, that's how she related to PTSD. Which, you know, uh, we we all have sort of our ways, you know, especially, you know, in the medical field, you try to some extent you try to relate. And so I really did appreciate how this, uh, you know, this this girl, you know, they're both young. So, you know, inexperienced in these things. But one person is dealing with severe PTSD. The other one is saying, I get it. I have a pimple mm-hmm. and you can't see it. But it's just under the skin, not unlike the trauma that threatens ah. to erupt from you. We can't see it, but you can feel it and see it in a very visceral way. The Faustian Nonsense Network is here to help you produce your best work. Really, like mm-hmm. it's just concentrated trauma, and that's where you know that's why it's full of fluid. It's it's full of it's full of trauma. Mm-hmm. And it's just one of those things where like th- that's in a that's one. I guess comparison, a metaphor for uh, very uh, difficult uh, psychiatric disorders Mm -hmm. that I wouldn't have thought of had I not seen this movie. But now it's, you know, 
I don't know that I'll incorporate it into into my practice necessarily, but it's one of those mm-hmm. things to certainly bear in mind. But you're definitely going to talk about it with each of your patients. <laughs> yeah, and play the scenes from mm-hmm. the movie. Yeah. Just to sort of, yeah. yeah. Just have them bring it Just to, as a way to explain that, hey, this growth on you is cancerous. <laughs> yes, it, it, it does go both ways. Uh, to PTSD, to cancer, to anything you have. Visual aids are sure. very important. Yeah. So I'm, no, I'm, I'm excited to incorporate this. Yeah, like the, the scene with the exploding zit, I feel like that's where this movie apparently had a budget of uh, about 500 grand. And I feel like at least 400 grand of that went into how great this exploding zit scene looks. Um, it is, it, it's like an Evil Dead movie. Like it's just, it is it, profoundly goopy. Oh, it's, yeah, um, disgusting. Genuinely disgusting in a, in a good way. Yeah, it's 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 kind of stomach turning. Uh, and so Courtney uh, hallucinates that her drummer, who, by the way, uh, I love that she because so uh, I'm, I'm I'm a drummer. Um, I, I, I love that her drumming style is not so much in the wrists or in the fingers. She like has a death grip on these enormous pink drumsticks uh, that are like the, the width and length of like a a, a, a roller, like a, 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 a dough. Uh, rolling, rolling pen, rolling, rolling pin. That sounds pen. right. God, I feel like I just had a stroke. It's about this the length and width of a rolling pin, and she doesn't drum with her wrists. She just like moves her arm like a Chuck E. Cheese animatronic and just drums so hard, but also always stays on beat. Like this actor, you can tell was genuinely like, hang on, I'm actually gonna try to stay on the beat here. Yeah, and you have to wonder. Um, you know, how much training, you know, of the 500 grand that they spent on this movie, how much of that was on training this person to learn the drums wrong? Uh, <laughs> I mean, right enough, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I guess R- Ringo famously plays, uh, I don't remember how, but plays differently from, from other drummers. And, you know, maybe this movie's take on drumming is another thing to sort of look into. Like, maybe you are supposed to hold it like a rolling pin. Mm-hmm. Um, I always think of I always think of that uh, one interview where they asked um, Paul McCartney like Is Ringo the best drummer in the world? And Paul McCartney's like He's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. Like <laughs> Ringo, I don't know. Yeah, his yeah. So the the pustule on her face explodes, and we get this thing of you know Courtney running and screaming that like she just died from having a zit, and then for some reason her friend has disappeared. Uh, we find mm-hmm. out later that she just, uh, after um, the zit uh, exploded on her face, she decided to go hit the town and do some shopping. Um, and at this point, Which, we... So, oh, please. That was an option that was ruled out entirely. Like, maybe <laughs> she went to town to do some shopping. That was... is true. And it was brought up by the cool douchebag guy. Mm-hmm. So he knew what so, he was talking about. He's dismissed yeah. because of his attitude, but it turns out that he's the only observant one out of all of them. You know, and I think there's a lesson in that for all of us. Yeah, maybe, you know, we shouldn't judge people just by the fact that they talk like a Beavis type or a <laughs> butthead type. You know, maybe there's more that they could bring to the table, at least in terms of, uh, you know, solving or at least, or you know, in this case, ruling out a murder mystery. Yeah. You know, these are maybe pretty, uh, maybe pretty important notes to, to take to heart. Maybe judge them instead by the size of the corkscrew on the end of their guitar, you know? 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, don't don't judge them based on their like disgusting comments and general lack of hygiene. Like, judge them on their logistical skills. You know, maybe ask them where they think people are. Oh, and sorry, we're at the point in the movie. So shortly before this, I, I just don't want to miss this important part. So um, there's the the girl who's painting herself as the slutty girl. She is the one who does become topless during the dancing party, and also yeah, naturally. If I remember right, she finds a stripper pole. Is that how? Yeah, that, it's like that's a, like the theme? very first thing she does is find a stripper pole. Like the second they start dancing, she finds it and is dancing on it. When she walked into the room, she did like Terminator vision and immediately spotted like, there's the nearest thing that I can do this on. Yeah, which, I mean, to my knowledge, a lot of things aren't stripper poles. And to find one in a in a house that, you know, they call it out as that's not even unpacked it, it's bare bones so very yeah, m- most most things aren't stripper poles i think yeah uh, to my knowledge but um anyway so, so that same girl later on is with her uh her, her boy toy tj they're all they're both laying out and he's reading to her out of the book this this work of literature and uh i like his approach to reading to, to reading anything which is you know, the way you read poetry, you read line mm-hmm. by line and you let each line impact you. And so in his case, <laughs> he was he read, you know, a line. I don't know that he even read a full sentence. He, he read a line and then checked with the uh, the female in question and was like, does this are you ready now? Um, and I thought, right. you know, what a gentleman, what a thorough and yeah, thoughtful example of. Like a romance in, I I think we could take it to today, but certainly uh, ahead of its time in eighty seven. Mm-hmm. So uh, and it it took what two three readings and then she was ready. Yeah, that's apparently all it took, and it's very sort of uh, cartoony, like Harlequin romance novel involving like things throbbing and. Um, which, as somebody who like reads romance novels a lot. I always get, like, part of me gets annoyed because I'm like, that's not even how they are written now. And then the rest of me is like, yeah, but a lot of them are, though. So, and that's that's fine, too. Like, No, that's a fair counterpoint. Yeah. Um, they bring in, so, these two cops who are the, they are ridiculous, ridiculously yoked and mean and are just, like, verbally abusing these teenagers. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's certainly one of those... You know, I think we've all had the experience where we uh, have a friend who has severe post-traumatic stress disorder and um, that friend has uh, had some sort of hallucination where Mm -hmm. the, whatever, the bathtub overflows, blows up. Well, in this case, uh, that her friend is gone and that the garbage disposal is crushing her bones. That's And they're all too afraid to check on it. Mm-hmm. Right, to just like Which, poke around in the garbage disposal. Yeah, and this is you know not unlike the time whenever I watched the movie Scream and had to be the brave one. I did think to myself, out of all of them, were all of them t- that afraid to check? And uh, like that's, I thought, you know, maybe there's more courage in me than I thought. Uh, At least before and, calling the cops. Like, knowing that you're underage teens and you're all, like, you've got tons of alcohol in the house that you guys have been drinking. 
you've been double fisting corn dogs and champagne since like three in the afternoon. Yeah. And the cops are going to know that. Someone's going to check before they call the cops. Yeah. And these cops are so aggro in a way I really appreciate because it's, it's yeah, it's that thing of like, all right, so she's just had um, a panic attack uh, because of her immense trauma from watching all of her friends get butchered. And, you know, this is who you want on the scene is like CrossFit cop who's super, super mean. He tells them if you uh, so he he asks them like, so wait, so you said that your friend was missing. Is that your friend? And drummer lady wanders back into the house and she's like, yeah, I was just shopping in town. And uh, the 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 main buff cop, I think they're both uh, bad cop, but the, the batter cop actually says to them, if you jerk my chain in my town, I'll rip your lungs out, which is mm-hmm. just outstanding. As a thing yeah. to say well, to yeah, the children. That's the type of guy you want handling these sort of issues. Mm-hmm. These yeah. sorts of, sort of sensitive yeah. issues, like a, a young woman who is struggling with um, some sort of clear mental break. You accuse them of being on drugs and then say, if you try to call again, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Physically, yeah, I, I will murder you. It's one of those things where you know. I know that in medicine, there's a certain vocabulary you have to learn, and I I'm aware that within the the world, the criminal world, and law and law enforcement, there's a whole other vocabulary to learn. And so this movie, I feel like, took me and his just his few lines really took me into a new place of, you know, learning beyond you know my Miranda rights. Mm-hmm. Like this is. Mm-hmm really the terminology that they will use whenever it comes to uh you know potentially arresting someone or i i'm not positive what he meant by those words but there was all you know i i, I don't remember what you quoted necessarily something about pulling the lungs out all this legal mm. speak this legalese <laughs> right uh, yeah it was red tape it was an it was an eye into the world of law enforcement which you know uh i, I appreciated mm-hmm. You know, like when, when you're a beat cop patrolling the main streets of like Martha's Vineyard or wherever they are, and you're dealing with some teens that are giving you guff, you need to be prepared to threaten mm-hmm. to murder them. Yeah. 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 In, in, a, in an odd and specific way. You could also <laughs> interpret this the opposite way in that this movie came out only a year before The Thin Blue Line. And so maybe this encouraged people to speak up about cop abuse, such as accusing you of being on drugs and saying, if you call again, mm-hmm. I'm going to murder you. And then the thin blue yeah. line blew police corruption wide open. Yeah, it was like the Serpico of its time, you know, like it was, yeah, absolutely. And this cop, we never see them again, but uh, their their presence in this movie is, uh, is incredible. I feel like um, in horror movies specifically, cops are generally useless. Like, can you imagine a horror movie that 20 minutes into it, a cop just comes on the scene and like shoots the killer and then the rest of it is just paperwork like i i haven't seen it yet but i've been waiting for it yes well i don't want to talk too much about this because i mean we've been working on that screenplay yeah now it's now it's gonna be out yeah paperwork this isn't what i want to this isn't the way i want to announce it so i'm gonna you know i'm gonna kind of i'm gonna i'm gonna shut my mouth now because it's it's a really big project, and we've we have gotten the funding. It's it's five hundred and one thousand dollars. And the paperwork scenes uh, are so long, it's and so they're immaculate. so quiet. And a lot of, you have to be so quiet just to understand what's going mm-hmm. on. A, a lot of um, pulling from previous movies as well, and the paperwork in those. So, mm-hmm. and then there will be uh, the uh, the pirated version. That's uh, three different versions of the paperwork scene that oh, yeah. uh, extends the paperwork by at least like yeah. five minutes, which is way better gonna, for immersion. 
you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's world building. for us, we're, we are going to be pushing hard with that pirated version, which is a little bit different from most conventional movie releases. Yeah. Uh, just the, the pirating being sort of the way to watch. We have an exclusive <laughs> contract with the Pirate Bay. Uh, and by mm-hmm. exclusive contract, oh, I nice. mean the guy who stole our movie. We can't find him or catch him. Mm-hmm. So that's right. why and that's I why we don't have a deal with Netflix paper. yet, is because of the we're exclusively yeah. on the pirate bay. Yeah, but you know, mm-hmm. like that, you've, you've still made a contact. You know, like even if you can't find him now, you know that you have somebody out there uh, familiar with your work, or someone that you might meet yeah, in the airport and like have a laugh with. But um, also, just in the cops' favor here in this situation. Uh, I would suspect a hallucinogenic drug as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's not. It's 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 not beyond the pale that somebody hallucinated their friend's face exploding in pus, and maybe they've yeah. taken something. I would say the so response I, like, to oh, you guys might be doing drugs, so if you contacted me, like, don't ever contact me again. I think that's maybe still an exaggerated response. Or like, yeah. I'm going to kill no, I, you. Yeah. I guess, yeah. you know, I deal with patients differently than some people. But uh, yeah, no, I guess that's right. Yeah. And really what you're saying is like, even if you are getting attacked uh, again, don't call me because I will also murder you. You'll have two different people trying to murder you. So really, you're just, you're better off. You're better off not calling. Um, Now, eventually, for no real reason, uh, Driller, Greaser manifests in reality and uh, burrows through uh, Hunky Matt's chest with his rad drill guitar. Um, the, the the viscera on the drill flying off of it, it looks pretty cool. I mean, this is the moment like that we've been waiting through throughout the whole film, and we're wondering, like, I, or I was certainly wondering, is it, well, I was thinking, this is a dream sequence again, which is, mm-hmm. I'm sure, the intentionality uh because it's not the first time someone's been killed on screen, but this mm-hmm. is the first time that it's been, uh, you know, in real life. Uh, and the first time the question is asked, in my mind, wh- wh- what, how is he, Is he's real, I guess? And he's he's just, there well, now? He, what he it wasn't is. around? It's it's almost uh it's kind of a nightmare on Elm Street situation where this guy I I mean and you know in, in 1987 this was the same year that you know Nightmare on Elm Street three came out so full on Freddy Media th- like this guy is is genuinely I think this movie trying to make Greaser Killer happen as like a pop horror icon yeah because he's just he's like Bugs Bunnying all over the place just one liners he spikes the camera at one point he's got some sick dance moves. It's like they were mm-hmm. trying to make action figures of this killer happen. It was good enough that if there were action figures, I would be interested. Oh, you don't mm-hmm. you don't have the guitar guy, um, driller killer Funko Pop? <laughs> uh, not oh, no, it's in storage. No, good point. I meant the I mean the GI Joe version as well, but obviously Funko Pops are the thing now. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm mm-hmm. a little bit more retro. <laughs> he is actually cool enough to warrant like. I mean, he's the he's the best part of the movie. Like he, his I don't know his dance moves. Um, this guy is really really good. And part of me like I looked it up. He wasn't in anything else except for like two other minor movies that didn't go past like 1990. And I feel like this movie should have launched him into like I don't know. He's he's sort of like a superhero villain version of like Andrew Dice Clay a little bit. Oh yeah, I can mm-hmm. see that. Yeah, 
Maybe where, that's you know, what... he's got the fingerless gloves. I mean, what years were was Andrew Dice Clay like really popping off? It was around that time, right? Pretty, pretty much around then, yeah, yeah, like late eighties, early nineties, where they tried him out as a movie star a couple of times before deciding, like, eh, it's nineteen ninety three. Let's let's move on. Yeah, like, oh, this guy isn't just a bad person in his act. He's terrible to work with and also a terrible person. <laughs> yeah, who'd have thought that the guy whose whole thing is just being a terrible bigot is just genuinely a terrible bigot? That's just how he is um, all the time, even when he's not, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, in character. So interesting. Living the gimmick, yeah. It's 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 method, I think. Um so as we get toward the end of the movie, uh, you know, we get a pretty cool fire stunt. The thing that I can't figure out is, like, this movie looks so cheap most of the time, but when they were splashing out for the cool scenes, like, they look really cool. Um, the driller killer gets lit on fire and falls off a building, and this fire stunt, like, that's... They, they didn't light, like, the blow-up doll on fire and, like, lawn darted off of the roof. This is a person genuinely falling off a roof on fire, and it looks like a million bucks. Well, if you think about it, I mean, yeah. th- there's no way they spent a ton of movie on anything that wasn't those kind of effects. Because everything else is just a suburban house, they have some champagne, there's corn dogs, and there's a pool. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's not... <laughs> Their corn dog budget was out of control. There's not even really props. Like, they, who knows how many days the prop guy was even on, you know, set. Because most of it is just like a house. sandwiches. Until, except for yeah, these yeah. very quick scenes where there's where they're going to be using, mm-hmm. like, blood packs or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of lunch items attacking Courtney throughout the movie. <laughs> like, it's yes. always she's about mm-hmm. to eat something... And then it turns into the chickens from Eraserhead and just starts, like, great gouts of blood shooting out. Um, I, to- but, so- I completely spaced the the chicken jumping out at her, the raw chicken catapulting to oh, her yeah. and her, taking her down to the ground. It's a great it's a great fly tackle. Like, this chicken was not fucking around. It's just a raw chicken who decides to just immediately dropkick her to the ground. Well, and one thing... I'm This is, you know, for true fans, I guess, but what I noticed was... When it attacked her, it was out of the packaging. And if I remember right, it was in packaging whenever they went to clean it up afterwards. And I thought, wow, is that a mistake or is that intentional? That's just true fans. Part of the greater lore of the story. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, this is the, yeah. Uh, Now, the movie ends with shockingly a dream sequence uh, where everything is fine and then she turns over in bed. And Hunky Matt, who died previously in the movie, is there. And she's like, oh, great, you're not dead. And then he turns into the greaser and she yells. Mm-hmm. And then we smash cut to her being in the psych ward. The psych ward in this movie, it looks like an Edwardian asylum. Like, this is not what actual psych wards looked like in the 1980s. Yeah, I, was, um, I wasn't sure. Like, I thought, like, just by this, the cot... I thought probably a psych ward. Oh, this probably isn't that, her but... bedroom. There's not really any posters on the wall, and she's screaming. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I mean, all of those things were kind of attributes of just her everyday life at this weekend house, though, right? Mm-hmm. So could have been for for a second. I I had to deliberate, but. Uh, I, I, yeah, you I are did. right because it does sort of just look like an attic, which it almost certainly was. Like I, I doubt they. It's it's <laughs> much different than they, a, another part of the set. They, they might have just yeah climbed up a ladder and gone to the attic for that scene. Yeah. That's 
roughly yeah. where it was. Also because the so. floor is very clearly like plywood. Like it, uh, the the movie ends with a shot of um, her in the room screaming at the top of her lungs, and then uh, a drill in the foreground punching through the floor and whirling up into the into the camera, and then that's how it ends. And then we get the boogie music over the over the credits. Um, this movie is what uh, a, an hour and. How many? Like, this isn't even 90 minutes. This is like 117 minutes. Yeah, it looks like it's the on Wikipedia, it says 75 minutes. So it's an hour and yeah. 15 minutes. Yeah, they, they, they did not feel the need to. I mean, and God bless them for it, actually, for not being like, all right, well, I guess to pad for time, we'll add another 20 minutes of them playing songs and drinking. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I mean, I guess maybe it did just come down. I mean, obviously, with movies on this scale, it always comes down to like budgetary issues, right? Like they just couldn't afford to do more than that because they clearly did put some money into the effects, like you're talking about. Um, but then mm-hmm. just so much of the movie that isn't effects is just like really wasting time, really just trying to stretch out every scene and kind of every conversation, just just to like fill time. It reminds me, yeah. the worst example I always think of when I see that is the Disney, the children's movie, The Big Green, the soccer movie um, from the oh, mid-90s. Oh, the, uh, the, the red-headed kid. Yeah, the, that's another movie that is maybe like only, or like, it's under 90 minutes, but the last 20 minutes of the movie, most of it is B-roll footage of child extras playing soccer. Because it's all, <laughs> it's this whole, you know, ending on this big game that they have that they're trying to beat you know the big bad team but they spend so much time on literally nothing happening but kids just kicking around a soccer ball with no dialogue going on and it's so bizarre and uh that's what this made me think of it pulls you in really yeah. pulls you into the authenticity of it mm-hmm. yeah it's a verite at that point um but yeah so this is uh for for a movie that is not even at uh, 90 minutes it feels it felt so much longer than i feel like it should for a movie this short um i was i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna level with you i was dragging a little bit halfway through this movie was like come on get to the drill murders um see for me at the halfway point i um i got a text that the guy who's gonna help me move my car that was stuck mm -hmm. uh that that he was gonna help me at that point and so i had to for free so i did pause it and then got back to it. So maybe I got my second wind by doing that. But for me, I was very enthralled with the with the PTSD stuff and trying to figure out what happened. And then, I like, admittedly, I don't think that I got bored in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, like, I, I, I well, also good. probably wouldn't have chosen this movie necessarily. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I uh, the, the moment, like, halfway through this, I was like, why was this the one that was like in my heart at this time where I was like, oh man, yeah, we could just, you know, we'll do an episode, fuck, uh, fucking a uh, uh, slumber party massacre too. And, you know, I think it's that, that sweet ass title was the thing that I was like, oh, that's the one you want to do. Yeah. It's, when it's a sequel with that kind of a name and you've never heard, well, sorry, I've never heard of it. I'm sure, you know, most of your listeners listen, watch it annually at least. But, oh, sure. Uh, yeah. For me, um, it's, since you know i'm i'm on tinder level with this right with the horror mm-hmm. movies um for this to be one of the uh relatively few horror movies i've seen i'm really excited to you know hold that up next to scream and 
next to uh, the first Insidious movie, which I saw, um, you know, and and a few others like that. And like 30 minutes of a Friday the 13th movie you saw on cable once, where it's like, yeah, that's basically in the conversation. Yeah. And, you know, and to to be fair to the whole genre, the, the insane amount of parodies I've seen on far more of these movies. So mm-hmm. this this movie is probably going to be I, I I started out determined to like it, and I you know I fortunately um, adored it by the end, especially um, because the movie does essentially change into a different movie whenever the killer actually shows up. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, it becomes really, good. Yeah, I I loved the killer, and I was by that time I was tired of the rest of them, and I was ready to root for the killer, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I, I think it paid off. I mean, definitely agreed so with that because I was happy when the killer showed up and, and killed them all. But I, I definitely got <laughs> bored. Like, I don't know, after 10 minutes of them just kind of doing nothing and hanging out for a really long time with the, the spurts of the PTSD that were very quick and few. Um, it, Like, it definitely... Uh, I don't know. It definitely... I like the parts... I like the effects and I like the like little scares in it. And I genuinely thought the acting was good and everything, but I mean, it was kind of boring. Mm. Yeah. A lot of it just, you you kind of feel like you're sort of, you know, running and it's, it's like when you go running and you get to like a street corner and you're like jogging in place to keep your pulse up, uh, to just keep it moving. And that's like most of this movie. That's not like wildly entertaining and ridiculous. Uh, but so, I mean, I'll agree. It's, it's not citizen Kane and I'll, I'll, I'll admit that now, but mm-hmm. um, but it did like invent just, a lot the... of camera techniques that we still use today. That's <laughs> it's right. the visual language of Summer Party Massacre too. Yeah, to really, you know, I'm yeah, I know that you guys are a little bit more hesitant on this, but I'm gonna go ahead and put the, uh, you know, we're we're from the Jock Doc Podcast. We're gonna I'm gonna put the Jock Doc Podcast stamp of approval on this movie. I, I definitely oh, agree wow. with that. Even though I felt like the first whatever four fifths of the movie was got boring at a point i still thought it was you know i thought the effects were cool i think the killer is a very funny and fun guy i'd hang out with him you know mm-hmm. oh sure genre bending yo yeah he's like a ted mm-hmm. bundy type in that you actually kind of like him even though you you know he's a definitely gonna kill everyone better dancer though i mean ted bundy's not known for his for his dancing thank god mm-hmm. um i i feel like he would dance like a uh I don't know, like a young Republican or something where it's a lot of feet and a lot of nodding. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I mean, he was, yeah. Um, so looking at the list uh, of horror movies now, uh, so at number 97, uh, we have uh, final destination. The first one from uh, 2000, um, which do we think is a better movie? Final destination or slumber party massacre two? I mean, they're, okay. they're very similar in a lot of ways. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, obviously you sort of, this movie involved a lot of, um, slumber it's in the name. Sure. People, yeah. people are sleeping visions. throughout the movie and I think people definitely sleep in final destination. Mm-hmm. All of them. Visions right? of death on the horizon mm-hmm. in both. Oh, sure. sure is like a, not a common theme in these horror films. Yeah. Portents of, of danger to come. I think mm-hmm. I want to give the edge to Final Destination over Slumber Party Massacre 2 purely because yeah, uh, purely because we get sort of peak uh, Devin Sawa when he was still kind of a going concern movie wise. Um, 
And also the kills in Final Destination, like so much of that movie and really the series generally is just like a Rube Goldberg machine that people get yeah. fed into where it's just sort of wacky. People die of like misadventures. Um, so I want to give the edge to Final Destination. Right below Final Destination um, is Ash versus Evil Dead, uh, the first two seasons. Um have uh, either of you seen uh, Ash vs. Evil Dead? I have not, but I know it's good. And one of my favorite podcasters, Sean Clements of Hollywood Handbook, wrote for it. So I'm going to say Ooh, nice. that that's probably better than uh, Slumber- the Slumber Party movie. <laughs> Excellent. I've forgotten yeah, the name of Slumber Party Massacre 2. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, I basically, you basically got it. I've seen an episode or two, and um, I mean... If I have the same reasons as Cameron for giving it props, but at the same time, I th- I stopped watching Ash vs. Evil Dead, whereas I didn't stop watching except for my car. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. This this movie, so you know, t- to that end. But you know, if I look back, if I look one more down on the list, Tremors, I mm-hmm. definitely would put ahead of the movie we watched. So for sure. Um, you know, but, I I find myself in a difficult situation here. I have seen yeah. Killer Clowns with from Outer Space, which is at 100, and I did enjoy that more than this one as well. Yeah, it's it's got better effects, I think. Now, right below that is Lady Vengeance, uh, which was uh, it's a really really good movie in a way I I cannot uh, in good conscience put it uh, put Slumber Party Massacre two above it, but. Just below Lady Vengeance is Takashi uh, Takashi Miike's Ichi the Killer. I I think I'm going with the Friday night test, which is, you know, if it's a Friday night and I have a two liter of mug root beer and a a tombstone pizza and I'm sitting down to have a good time watching a movie, I'm not going to watch the deeply transgressive, upsetting Takashi Miike movie, uh, Ichi the Killer. I'm going to be putting on Slumber Party Massacre 2, I think. Like, it's... It will, you know, be a good time. It's not going to make me uh, feel bad about myself and the world around me. I feel like I want to give the edge to, to Slumber Party Massacre too. Yeah, I being unfamiliar with the um, the opponent here, the uh, Itchy the Killer, that that does help. Um, the the movie we watched, the Slum, Slumber Party Massacre. Uh, I would say, just thinking back on it the concept of the film, there are so many different things going on, which I know for you guys is boring. And you know what? I get sure. Yeah. Why can't movies be about one thing, you know? Yeah. Right. For me, I loved this movie. It had everything. It was a musical. It was band practice. It was a guy stopping by briefly to watch the band practice. I've been (laughs) isolating a lot in a pandemic and I mm-hmm. haven't been able to have those awkward social silences. So I've missed that. And I feel like, you know, this this movie brought what we didn't know that we needed in 1987. And uh, we we finally get it. And I felt like I was among, like, friends that I wouldn't have, but mm-hmm. friends that I appreciate having today. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a big it's a big quarantine mood, I feel. So yeah, so coming in at our new number 102, uh, above Ichi the Killer and below uh, Lady Vengeance, is Slumber Party Massacre 2. Uh, guys, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. 
Um, would you? Uh, do you have anything that you would like to plug? Well, we uh, we already used our stamp of approval from it, actually. But uh, oh, it's the Jock Doc podcast. We're um, it, it's a it's an improvised comedy. It's a character based. So we've um, if anyone's familiar with comedy Bang Bang, it's kind of like that, where we have uh, sort of just odd characters that come on, and then um, I also have a twist on that where I actually put in a real medical lesson. So, uh, but it is by far mostly just uh, fun improv comedy stuff with sketches and whatever. Yeah, it's um, fantastic. Like, guys, if you, you you need to go check out Jock Doc, like it's yeah, it's 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 incredible. Um, we so Rank and Vile. Obviously, you can find us on uh, Twitter at Rank and Vile Cast and on Instagram at Just Rank and Vile. Um, guys, if you have any movies that uh, you want to request or ask that we do, you're going to want to send that to uh, rankandvilecast at gmail.com. Uh, but barring that, that is about all I've got. Take it easy, folks.